Voyages of Pim Better Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, and what's new around here? Well, on Monday, I recorded a podcast in the East Village with an astrologer named Angel Idealism. That's going to take a little bit of editing, so it won't be released just yet. You'll see why when you listen to that episode, and I'll explain it a little bit more in the introduction to that episode Last night, what did I do? I went and completed my interview for the global entry, which gives me TSA pre-check and all that stuff. So that is exciting, and I'm going to be able to use that for the first time when I take that trip to Tennessee at the end of December. Today, I had a really good time recording a conversation with a young woman named Bailey Swan. Bailey recently took a trek across the country on her motorcycle. And I think that she's really inspiring for anybody who is sort of tired of living life by other people's rules or trying to follow some type of a status quo. She completely broke that mold. I won't go too far into it now. Uh, You'll hear her explain it better than I can. And what also impresses me is that she was not just traveling for for her own pleasure. She was traveling uh, on a bit of a mission of uh, her own education about uh, a couple of topics that, again, she will discuss. So I had a great time talking with her. There will be a link to her Instagram and a couple articles that were written about her in the show notes for this episode. Uh, I'm hoping that she can perhaps get some kind of a sponsorship. She mentioned perhaps getting a sponsorship from uh, Triumph, the company that makes motorcycles, which would be awesome. I mean, I think she, you'll hear her, but it's funny how sometimes when you talk to someone, like automatically you can tell that they kind of have that it factor. And I think she has that, and I think that she would be marketable for a company like that. So I hope she gets something like that so she can continue to travel and follow her dreams and live life according to her her own rules and by her own accord. So that's the intro for today. Hopefully, like I said, I'll have that interview with Angel Idealism out relatively soon. And then I have a couple others that are planned for the coming week. I won't talk about them yet, but um, I guess I should mention that for this interview today, I got a little bit paranoid about halfway to two-thirds of the way through that my uh, software wasn't recording the audio. And so that made me kind of cut it short a little bit. So there's still a couple of things that I'd love to talk to Bailey about, but maybe I'll be able to have her on again after she uh, travels a bit more and she has new stories and I can revisit revisit those ideas but uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you again to the wizard Brian Goldsman for helping me to save the audio. You're a lifesaver. I don't know what I would do without you. All right, folks, enjoy this conversation. I'll talk to you next time.
Today I am here with Bailey Swan, and I first heard about you because I was searching around on the internet for people who had traveled across the United States, and you popped up as somebody who traveled across the States on a motorcycle, which is really awesome. But before we get to the trip, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. Um, I did read an article that was written in which they interviewed you, and I believe that the idea for your trip first began uh, when you were in college and were kind of disillusioned with the college process and sort of the standard trajectory for what's expected of us in this country. Is that true? Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess starting from the beginning, I kind of, um, I was always a great student in, you know, grade school and high school. And I never kind of, I guess I never realized what I wanted to do. I knew I always was passionate about helping the environment and like I always loved cooking and food and stuff. And um, I kind of, since I was always a good student, it just seemed like I had to go to college. Right. So I thought, yeah, that's that's what everyone does. So, you know, I applied to a couple of schools, got into one of our better state schools in Indiana and went to Indiana University in Bloomington for just over two years. Um, it took me a couple of semesters to figure out which path I wanted to take as far as majors goes. Um, and I, um, I was a dietetics major for a couple of years, which is a, a pretty rigorous major, hard science classes and stuff. And I started getting into my core nutrition classes and I realized this doesn't make sense to me. This is, this is not what I see as nutrition because I've always been a you know, fairly healthy eater in my later teens. And they were telling me things um, that I really didn't agree with as far as, like, the meat and the dairy industry goes. Um, And I really hated what I was learning about and didn't agree with it. And I knew that what I wanted to do was to find, you know, ways for people to eat healthier, more sustainable food. And I knew that my courses at IU weren't going to teach me that. So I decided to drop out and then... um, I moved home to save money, got two jobs, worked my butt off for like over six months and then sold my car, sold one of my other motorcycles and then bought the motorcycle I have now and decided to set out to get my own kind of education through um, working on organic farms through a program called Woofing, which is Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. So I... um, I set out to woof across the country because I had always wanted to travel. And in the meantime, I was taking some holistic nutrition courses online to get a certification. Wow, awesome. Uh, one of the things that I've been talking about with, uh, with people on the first couple of podcasts is sort of uh, taking the plunge. It, that first step is kind of scary when you're, when you're taking a trip or doing endeavors such as yours. How did you prepare for something like that? Um, I kind of, through my nutrition courses, I had learned about goal setting and following through with your dreams and not really letting anything stand in the way. And I decided that if I really wanted to do this, I had to take the steps to do it. So I knew I needed a certain amount of money, you know, at least a couple of thousands, thousand dollars. And then I needed, and I wanted to travel on a motorcycle. So I needed a motorcycle. 
So I put all of my focus on saving money and, um, you know, I would go on the woofing website to see where the farms were located all the time. And I saved money, bought the bike, and I, I figured out which farm I wanted to go to first. And then since farmers don't really plan, like, you know, too far in, in advance, um, I contacted the farmers like a week before I was planning on arriving and I would ask them if they needed help. And since I was traveling in the fall season, which was like harvest season for most farms, mm-hmm. they all pretty much needed help. So I, I took the plunge by, you know, after I, I knew where I was going first, I was like, I'll figure it out from there. You know, the hardest part is leaving and, and preparing. And I, I knew, you know, I, I'll need stuff for riding. I'll need stuff for camping and I'll need stuff for farming. Awesome. So I packed all of that stuff up, borrowed some things from some other fellow riders and then just kind of set out and decided to stay with friends along the way or camp or, you know, wherever I needed to go in between. How long have you been riding? Um, I had, I've been riding on two wheels for a while. Um, my grandparents had like a lake house when I was younger and they had like a little like Honda scooter moped. And I would ride that probably when I was like 10, maybe younger. And then I brought that home when I was 15 because I didn't have a license and I would ride that to and from my friend's houses. And then when I was 16, my dad bought my older sister and I a 1970 Honda CB175. And I would ride that. I got my motorcycle license through these, like an abate course. And then um, I rode that to and from school and work all the time. What is the reaction usually, usually like? Because um, I feel like most people would probably think that like riding a bike is a gendered activity. What is the reaction usually like when people see there's a, a woman who's riding a motorcycle? Um, it's people are definitely surprised, especially because I'm only 21 years old and I'm a very small woman, five four, <laughs> maybe 120. Wow! <laughs> and um, I'm riding a bike that's like I don't even know, maybe a few hundred pounds at least, and. Um, people are pretty shocked by how big of a bike I'm riding. And they'll usually like when I'm stopped at gas stations, look at my license plate and then I'll take my helmet off and they'll see my hair come down and they're like, Whoa, (laughs) you're a long way from home. You're pretty small. Like, what are you doing all the way out here? All kinds of reactions like that. And people are usually like, why are you doing that? (laughs) And I just, it's just something that I love. So I, I try not to let the, the, uh, you know, gender norms right. stand in my way. And, and I think that motorcycle riding is a pretty genderless activity. Once you get on the bike and you know how to ride it, it doesn't make a difference if you're a man or a woman or if you're big or small, you just go and you just do it. And I don't think it really matters either way. <laughs> right, exactly. It seems like it's a good uh, conversation starter too when you're on the road trying to meet people. Yeah, definitely. So I know from uh, riding around the country in a car myself that sometimes you're riding along and out of nowhere, there's like a massive storm that happens. So I'm wondering if there were any sort of hazardous things that you had to deal with with riding cross country on a bike. 
Um, yeah, I had a couple of situations that were kind of scary. Um, originally, when I set out, I told myself, like, if it's raining, I'll just pull over at a gas station and, and sit down for a while because I don't really, I didn't really have a time limit. Um, but one of the first situations I came across was riding from Arkansas to Oklahoma. The winds were really intense, and that was, you know, like the second stretch of my trip. So it was only 2,000 miles in, maybe. And I was pretty scared, but I made it through the wind. Um, and then I stayed on a farm in New Mexico, and when I was leaving New Mexico, I um, was heading um, like northwest to Taos, and then I was gonna head up to uh, Colorado. And my where I was staying was in this box canyon like this beautiful, beautiful canyon in New Mexico. And I would, my host gave me directions on how to get out of the canyon. And I turned onto this road and it started raining and I was like, okay, this is fine. I can handle it. And then the road just kind of like, it didn't disappear, but it just turned into just like this dirt road with like potholes wow. that were like eight to 10. 12 inches deep at least and then rocks that were just as big Wow! so I'm on like a cruiser type bike with all my gear and I'm just like white knuckling the handlebars and like I have my music on and I'm <laughs> trying to focus as much as I can and I'm like dodging these potholes and all of these rocks and I was just like it'll be fine I can get through this and I was just kind of chugging along like and first and second gear because I knew if I if I went down I wouldn't want it to be when I was going fast right. so that was really difficult it would have been nice if I had like a an enduro or dual sport bike but wow <laughs> it worked on the on the triumph and we both came out of it really <laughs> muddy but we survived no falls does your bike have a name that's what some that's something that a lot of people ask me and um it doesn't have a name I was kind of hoping that, like, one would come to me, but um, I, it'll happen eventually, maybe on the next trip. <laughs> okay. Did you um, did you write or journal at all when you went? Yeah, I would, um, I would write every other day, and then I would try to write for, like, both days just so I didn't have to spend every single day writing. But, um, yeah, I have, a, I have a notebook of, or a, a journal mostly full. <laughs> Do you plan to do anything with that? Um, I have kind of toggled with the idea of either starting my own podcast to tell like each one of my stories, like maybe like 15 minute episodes of each story because I have so many. Um, or a few people have approached me about help, wanting to help me write a book. Oh, wow. Like a memoir of the, of the trip. So I'm considering both of them. Um, it's, We'll see what ends up happening, but I kind of want to do something as soon as I can while everything is fresh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could totally get just a, a small Zoom recorder and, and a mic, and even if you go back out, you could record from the road. That would be awesome. Yeah, that's what I was thinking for next time. I'm hoping to get a camera, a nicer camera pretty soon for documenting nicer photos. And then, yeah, something that I could record would be great because then I could hear the sounds on the side of the road and interview people myself and um, explain what I'm doing while I'm doing it. But 
Awesome. Hopefully for the next trip, I'll have something. <laughs> so you've mentioned a couple of times the next time. Do you have that planned out yet? I don't have an exact plan because I don't have any money. <laughs> and um, I, I can travel on very little money, but um, I'm, I'm working on getting some money saved before the next time. So I, I don't really want to start planning until I have at least some funds to do so. Um, but I do eventually want to go, because I mostly went to the West. I do eventually want to go down the East Coast, but I've really been thinking about going to California and then going south through Mexico, going down the Baja, and then like going around the coast of Mexico and then to the Gulf Coast. But we'll see. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm hoping for some sort of like sponsorship, but... Has anybody approached you about anything like that yet? Um, I had kind of put some feelers out there, but it was kind of in the middle of my trip. But okay. I do know someone, a pretty famous person that knows someone at Triumph, and I'm really hoping oh, wow. that maybe I could, they could hook me up with a sponsorship through Triumph because then I could just keep traveling almost indefinitely. <laughs> wow, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. So... I know that you were in the beginning. You were saying that um, one of the reasons for this trip was to further your own education about um, sustainability in terms of our food source. Uh, what did you learn about that from this trip? Um, well, I I knew a lot before I left um, because it's just been something that I've been passionate about for years. But I really took notice to the fact that so many people don't know where their food comes from and so many people don't eat food that comes from even close to where they live and on one of the farms I was staying on in Colorado um, it was a permaculture farm which is something I, I'm really wanting to take courses on and they, the only foods they really bought from the grocery store were like rice and flour and like some of just like the basic dry goods and everything else that they ate was from the farm. They raised pork and eggs and had a huge greenhouse and a big, like a, they farmed on an acre, which doesn't seem like a lot, but um, it, it was like a lot of production that came out of just that acre. And it was enough to feed um, multiple people through the whole season and also enough to sell. And it was just amazing seeing, and they were like 26 years old. Wow. So it was amazing seeing people, like young people out there growing their own food and like realizing that like it's important to eat from like the earth that you're walking on. And that was something that really just like hit home for me. Um, there's plenty of specific things that I learned like with the greenhousing, the greenhouses and composting and um, like certain plants like that like to grow in certain areas and all sorts of stuff like that. But that's more of the specifics. Gotcha. How about um, you were talking about how you have um, a story from pretty much everywhere you went. So what is one of the more memorable parts of your trip? Um, okay, uh, this one's more like of a fun one. Uh, so 
I was staying in Oakland with a friend, and I decided I was leaving, and I was heading down to L.A. for a motorcycle event, and I was heading down the coast, and I wanted to just, like, follow the Pacific Coast Highway as far down as I could, and I was passing through Big Sur. I mean, not Big Sur, uh, Santa Cruz, heading to Big Sur because I was going to camp there for the night, and um, I sat to... I was in Santa Cruz and I sat down on the beach uh, eating some like leftover food from the day before, like just having some lunch. And I just posted something funny to Facebook and one of my friends uh, messaged me and was like, wow, you're in Santa Cruz. You should um, meet up with these people. They have a community run motorcycle garage called the Recycle Garage and they actually have a podcast called Motorcycles and Misfits. And he was telling me how he listened to the podcast all the time and then I should check out the garage. And this was, I think, a Monday. And I looked and the garage was closed. So I told him it was closed and it wasn't going to happen. And then he was like, you should just message them. So I formulated some sort of message to these people I had never met before. And I was like, hi, um, I'm a traveler, I guess. I've been traveling the United States. Um, My friend told me about your garage. If any of you want to maybe go on a ride or something, let me know. And within, like, minutes, they were calling me and um, telling me that they would form a group and we could all go on a ride. And they took me for this um, through this amazing ride through the Redwoods outside of Santa Cruz. And um, afterwards, it was, it was um, a guy named Jim and then, like, two younger guys, and we, we all went out. And then afterwards, uh, Jim bought us all dinner, and then um, we went back to his place to just, like, hang out and have a drink and um then we decided to go on one more ride so jim zach and i went out and we saw like the the coast at night we went on the wharf which is like their boardwalk and then zach and i switched bikes and he was riding like a suzuki sv650 which is like a sport bike and so i got to ride his sport bike around the coast and then he was riding mine and um it was just like an amazing night and then we went back to jim's where I ended up staying for the night and um, he was letting me stay in his daughter's room, uh, which ironically enough, she had been in Scotland woofing (laughs) and um, her room, her bedroom was like this shed in the backyard that he had like renovated into like a nice bedroom. While she was gone, he was storing his motorcycles in there. Uh So he had like a dirt bike, an enduro um, I think another dirt bike and then like his daughter's motorcycle in there as well. And, um, I like opened the doors and saw all the bikes and I commented on his DR350 being like a really cool bike. And I was like, those bikes are just way too tall for me. I couldn't ride it. And he mentioned, he was like, do you want to hear it fire up? And I was like, sure. So he starts the bike and I just, like, had this big grin on my face, and he was like, do you want to go for a ride? And I was like, yeah, we might as well. And at this point, it's, like, 1 in the morning, and he's supposed to be at work at, like, 6. And um, I hop on the DR350, and ends up, I end up being fine. And he goes onto his daughter's little 250 bike, and we just, like, go down the um, highway along the coast to Capitola, and he shows me, like, this really nice scenic place on the beach where there's a bunch of rocks and the water just kind of crashes over the rocks and it was really beautiful. And 
then he asked me if I wanted to take the freeway home. And I said, yeah, because then we could go fast. And um, I was still on the the uh, enduro bike. And we were, like, flying down the freeway. And he, I passed him, and then he passes me. And then all of a sudden, the bike I'm on just, like, sputters and runs out of gas. <laughs> it was just so funny. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I... And then he had to, he didn't realize it for a few minutes. And then he kind of runs back to me and he's like yelling, like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I just started laughing. I was like, I ran out of gas. Oh man, you're lucky you didn't go flying. Yeah. He just like flips on the, um, the reserve and there was plenty of fuel in the reserve tank. And then we just, uh, rode back, rode back to his house and went, and then we, uh, went our separate ways, went to sleep and. It was it was an amazing night, like one of the happiest nights of my trip, probably one of the happiest nights of my life. Awesome. It was cool. Santa Cruz is a really great place. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I mean, it must have been amazing, too, riding through the Redwoods. Oh, yeah. I mean, I rode in the Redwoods in Northern California, north of San Francisco, and then with them, we went on this really, like, when they take you on a ride, they take you on a ride. So it was this really twisty back road through all of these beautiful trees. And, like, we're all, like, going really fast and then, like, downshifting, hitting the brakes and, like, winding around these turns. And just, like, by the time, I was, like, we came to a stop, we were we had all met back up. And I was just, my heart was just, like, racing because it was so intense and there was so much adrenaline. It was, it was amazing. Wow. <laughs> so I think that... Your story is really inspiring for a number of reasons, but one of the other things that I've kind of been exploring on this podcast is that um, people kind of get caught up in that sort of a lifestyle that we were talking about, where it's like you go to high school, you finish, you go straight to college, you finish. And so many people work jobs that they work just because it gives you a good pension or it affords you the type of a lifestyle you want for kids in a house and things like that, but they're not truly happy with what they're doing on the day to day. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if you had any sort of advice or message for people who are kind of stuck in the rut, because it is kind of scary to break from that mold and to pursue the things that you kind of daydreaming about all the time. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so I guess I'm used to kind of just listening to what people have to say, but for situations like this, since I started kind of early with dropping out and doing this, I know a lot of young people are already sitting at their desk jobs, kind of wishing they weren't there or wishing they were doing something better. But I think that you really like you really can do anything you want to do, especially being like Americans as privileged as we are. Um, it's, it all is a choice. It's a choice to buy a car and have to pay insurance and then buy a house and pay a mortgage and get married and have a family and have, you know, your children, you, you be responsible for your children. And then, you know, you don't end up going out and going anywhere and traveling or doing what you want to do until your children are out of the house and you're retired. So, so many people finally get to leave when they're in their 50s or 60s and they don't have as much energy and spunk to just be spontaneous and go out and do whatever they want to do. And I think that 
it's important for people to realize that it's easy to get stuck in this rut and you have to do what makes you happy and you have one life to live and you have to prioritize your own happiness over living within the system and, you know, doing what everyone else is doing. And I think maybe it might be the, the choice of buying a smaller house because then you'll have more money for traveling or whatever you want to do or buying less nice of a car or, you know, settling for the job that's less stressful but and has less hours but, you know, may not make you the most money. And, you know, saving your money instead of just buying objects that to fill the void that isn't going to be filled by anything but, like, what your dreams are. So I think it's just important for everyone to realize that they have one life and you have to prioritize your dreams over everything else. Awesome. I love that. I that's good enough advice. No, no, I think that's perfect. All right, I have one more question. I'm going to, I'm kind of trying to piece this together as I, as I go here, but um, I don't know about like your political persuasion and I would Mm-hmm. Assume that you're probably kind of left-leaning based on the things that we've been talking about. Um, <laughs> and I know you're from Indiana, which is where Mike Pence was governor, right? Yeah. Okay. So I don't quite agree. And again, I'm not trying to turn this into a political discussion, but I don't quite agree with a lot of the things that Mike Pence has said but uh, or is proposing or the things that he's done. But one of the things I think is really important is for people to be around other people who might have different opinions and lifestyles and thoughts and things like that. And so one of the things I suggested a couple podcasts ago was like, go out and travel. If you're from New York City like I am, your experience is going to be way different from somebody who's living in Nebraska. And so I'm wondering if from traveling through a lot of, you know, red states, if you are able to get any sort of a perspective on like um, why some of those folks might have voted a particular way or sort of understand where some of those people are coming from because you've either stayed with them or driven through those states or uh, rode through those states? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I definitely stayed in different places, but most of the people that are owning organic farms are normally pretty far less. Right. You know, they want, they're less about the money, they're more about the quality of life, and which is wonderful. But um, when I was riding through like the southern states, it was crazy how many signs I saw for, you know, Trump signs or bashing Hillary Clinton or. Clinton for prison, like so many terrible, um, but just like, I felt like I never saw any pro Clinton people. And, um, I was writing and I had so much free time to think about what I thought about everything. And I saw so many signs in areas that I was kind of surprised to see like Trump signs. And I I did try to think of why they would want to be voting for them. And I, I think that it's a lot of people do want to see America be what it used to be because they're afraid of change and they're afraid of, you know, everything that's happening with technology and they want to go back to 
the same old jobs that their father worked or, or, or things like that. And they're not really realizing that future generations are going to be very different and they're going to be living in a very different world. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard for me to identify with what they're thinking, but, um, I guess I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really stay with many people that had, had opinions about it. I mean, I stayed with someone that was, um, like an ex Marine and I understood why he was like, he was on the fence in between Trump and Hillary. He said that they were both idiots, but, um, I think that, like, during some of the debates, he leaned more on Trump, and I, I assumed that it was because he worked for the, govern, like the government and the, the service or whatever, but <laughs> right. I guess I'm not really sure. Okay. <laughs> um, well, listen, I think that, uh, I, again, I think that, that you're really inspiring. I think that um, your story is definitely something that should come out through, like, the podcast idea or a book idea or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how can people uh, read about you, hear about you? How can they find you? Um, I have an Instagram, which I I've put some. I, I, with every photo I've posted, for the most part, I put um, like a little write up about what I've done that day, or like just something meaningful. And I never know if people take the time to actually read what I'm saying. I try to make the photo really interesting as well. But um, my Instagram is. I have some friends that call me Billy and my name is Bailey. So it's close, but uh, my Instagram is wild Billy. It's W Y L D B I L L I. Um, or you can follow me on Facebook. If you prefer, I have a lot of photos from my travels on there. Um, and hopefully I'll, I'll be posting more articles. I, there should be a couple of blog posts about me coming up, especially tomorrow. There's going to be a really big one. Oh, great. Um, I know that you're going to be posting this right. later, not right the second. So um, the people from the History Channel show American Pickers um, kind of got a hold of me and oh, wow. published my story. Yeah, so um, they will be posting that tomorrow on their antique archaeology website. Uh, I think it'll be in the blog section under traveling or travelers or something. Awesome. Um, so stay tuned for that, and um, hopefully I'll have more like photos and videos and things to post on my Facebook and Instagram. But if that stuff's out, I'm sorry. If, if that stuff's out by the time that this podcast comes out, I'll throw it up in the show notes too. Okay. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Bailey for joining me on the podcast today. Please remember to subscribe, to comment, and to leave a star rating on iTunes. We will be back, or I will be back, real soon with another interesting guest. So please stay tuned. I will catch you later. This has been the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Mm-hmm.